Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another exciting edition of Facts, Opinions, and Rants with your host, Stephen D. Mosley. I'm excited to share with you on this episode, we're going to talk about white fragility. This time, we're going to talk about things I disagreed with it and how your worldview will impact how you understand uh, this literature, so to speak. So don't touch that dial. Don't go away as we're going to talk white fragility, part two. Well, on today's episode, we're going to discuss white fragility, part two, my problems, my top three issues with white fragility. I think I've written down maybe eight to ten uh, big issues. Obviously, we don't have time today to handle every issue, but uh, let's just look where I disagree. Let me get it started here. Uh, through her description of white culture, you know, I think it's pretty accurate in some areas. I discussed that last week. Her solutions to white fragility is where she fails. I also discussed that last week. I will, uh, today in our prayer, really talk about what needs to happen if you want to heal the racial divide. Of course, like I said last time, please check out my very first podcast, How Christ and Good Public Policy Can Heal the Racial Divide. That will also bring a lot of light to the issue. Um, but the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems uh, that I have is she fails to define racism. So when you read the book, uh, what you'll notice is her definition of racism is wrong. Uh, her belief about uh, sex, um, male, female, is wrong. She believes it's just based on culture instead of uh, a gift given to us by God uh, that is eternal. Um, you know, God gives it to us. And as scripture says, you are known as you are known um, on earth as in you are in heaven. So it's the, uh, it's the idea that, you know, you're a man on earth. When you get to heaven, you're a man there. You know, we don't stop... Um, being who God created us to be, uh, though you have different roles in heaven. Um, but even on this earth, though some would debate that, uh, no one in the biblical sphere debates uh, the idea of man and women and their role in the picture of the gospel, Ephesians 5, and their role um, from being created in the image of God. So uh, your your sex and your gender identity are linked as long as you live here on earth um they're not social constructs as uh this author would say um and that really goes into her her belief when it comes to race it deals with her belief when it comes to sex those things go against a biblical belief and since she doesn't start at truth it's really hard to come to the right conclusion right so um let's just talk about race for a moment so she redefines race to mean uh, america or white culture um which has been led by white men is is problematic. So if you're a racist, it means you basically you're white in America, according to her. Um, she fails to understand the sin nature and how we all have sin, and some sin is racism, uh, which is not based on power but hate of the other and misapplication uh, of the original intent uh, of some of our documents. So it's idea you know, white people are racist. We we went over this last week. Well, yeah, obviously some were. Um, those racist ideals controlled American culture for a long time. We agree with that uh, general principle. I argue up to the, the 60s. Um, she argues today, you know. And her argument is that the system created by white people is bad. So it's basically throwing a baby out with a bathwater. And the issue with that is this. You know, the scripture is true no matter how you may misapply it, right? So let me give an example. Some people believed in the, the, the sin of Ham, 
right? So you ever hear white racists who claim to be Christian? They'll say, you know, black people are cursed. You know why? The sin of Ham. The sin of Ham. By the way, there is no sin of Ham. Uh, if you look at the scripture, it's the sin of which which son is it? Yeah, Japheth, not not Ham. And so the premise is all black people are cursed and they're cursed to be slaves forever. Um, but uh, and Ham is, is the idea that Ham is the black black quote unquote race. Um, though of course, as we know in Scripture, there's only one human race. We're all called to seek after God, though there are different ethnicities as there is a, a difference between the Jews and the Greek. And that's the only uh, distinction, by the way, that is made when it comes to culture and scripture. It's either you're Jewish or you're not. Um, so when people misuse scripture, the truth of the scripture doesn't change. You misapplying it hurts, obviously, Misapplication to truth will always hurt you and, and those who are under your care or lack thereof. But it doesn't change truth. And so what she does here is she basically says, hey, you know, um, you know, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence says, you know, all these views about um, freedom and all these views. But it's really just about white men and their freedom. And so we just got to get rid of this individualism. We got to get rid of that because it's a white culture thing. And it's like, well, no, here's the thing. There are principles that work no matter who you are even if in the past they've been misapplied. And so if you can understand that, if you can understand that capitalism is the best system to go from poverty to the middle class and beyond because it gives you the opportunity to succeed, then you understand that, yeah, we love to live in a world where, yeah, you can make it, you pull it up by your own bootstraps, even though I'd argue that you only pull yourself up by the providential hand of God. And the same today, no matter how much racism can be against you, if God is for us, who can be against us, according to scriptures, right? How many of you believe that? I mean, honestly, do you really believe if God is for me, who could be against me? I do. I honestly do believe it. If that's what the Bible says, and it's been proven true over and over again. So if you want to say, hey, we live in a racist culture, Fine, that's your prerogative. I don't believe that. Um, but the author of this book does. She defines white and Americanism, white culture as racist, and every even good benefit that comes from the quote-unquote white culture, which I'd argue individualism is not a white thing. Uh, it's just like um, you know the um, uh, the Black History Museum in D.C. had one of those things like, yeah, the nuclear family is a white thing. Like, no, it's a Bible thing. And the Bible's truths are eternal, and those truths bring freedom to all who apply them. And so I want to read to you from page 22 her definition of racism. All right? So when she defines it, bottom page 22, she says this. When I say that only whites can be racist, I mean that in the United States, only whites have the collective social and institutional power and privilege over people of color. People of color do not have this power and privilege over white people, end quote. You know, if you wanted to find racism and say, hey, it has to do exactly with power, then I hope you never hope white people never become a minority in this country, as which is happening now will be the case by 2050, because then they could be, you know, the rest of us could be racist against them. Or I hope they never move to a county where it's all black people and black people are controlling whether you get a job or not, because then it could be racism. Like, no. Folks, racism happens when we have hatred in our heart towards the other. It's part of the fruit of the flesh, hatred. 
Whereas the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those are the things we need to have in our culture and exhibited in our laws to end discrimination and racism in our time. Well, I'm going to share with you the other two problems and my favorite stories of this book when we come back. I would like to dedicate this episode to a good friend of mine, Mr. Kessler. I want to say thank you so much for the warm uh, voicemail messages you sent via Anchor.fm. Of course, as many of you know, you can go to Anchor.fm and leave a voice message about your favorite episode. And I'll probably give you a shout out like this one or respond to your voice message. So please um, go ahead and do so. As always, the facts, pains, and rants that you hear here on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of you, our listeners, or Mr. Kessler. Uh, so please, if you know him, give him a great shout out and, uh, you know, give him some positive feedback. And, uh, you know, if you have any negative comments, well, you know where to send those. In any event, all the facts, pains, and rants are totally mine. And I look forward to giving some more rants, a couple more facts, and a lot of opinion. Up next, don't go anywhere. But my second favorite story in this book is found on page 30 and 31. And she quotes, race scholar, whatever that is, state, and I quote, white supremacy is to describe a socio-political economic system of domination based on racial categories that benefits those defined and perceived as white. This system of structural power privileges, it centralizes and elevates white people as a group, end quote. You know, first off, she believes race is a chief determiner of values instead of Christ in a biblical worldview. But my second favorite story is that she goes on to list these groups that have predominantly white men, and she says, and I quote, the groups listed above are the most powerful in the country. Now, let me list some that she lists. And you agree with some of them, but there's going to be a one that you're like, huh? excuse me? She says, what? The 10 richest people, okay, most of them white. The president, vice president, most of them white. U.S. Congress, U.S. governors, teachers. But my all-time favorite group of the most powerful people in the world, and she actually lists this group right away, the U.S. House Freedom Caucus. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. I must have missed it when we balanced the budget because of Jim Jordan became Speaker of the House and Rand Paul took over the Senate. I love the Freedom Caucus. They fight for great things. But who are you kidding? They do not have the power in Washington that the rhinos of my party and the Socialist Squad, or as Trump calls them, AOC plus three, has. You know, the Freedom Caucus does not have that same power. They don't have nowhere near that type of power. Um... But you know what? Whatever helps this lady sleep at night, okay? The now, of course, I've saved my favorite story for last, and I'm going to flip over to page 140. Um, and it best illustrates why her method of solving these problems, which you get to in Chapter 12, by the way, it, it just doesn't work. So give me a second. You hear me flip through here. Um, but this story comes from uh, Chapter 12, and it's also where she actually, what I do like, she, she's honest and open, talks about how she messes up. And even with her own... You know, with her being the trainer of this stuff, she's like, you know, I mess up at times. So let me read to you the story she shares at the end. And page uh, 139, 140. Um, the equity team 
has been invited to do a meeting with a company's new web developer. The team consists of two women, both of whom are black, and me. Of course, she's white. The new web developer, who is also black, wants to interview us so that she can build our page. She starts the meeting by giving us a survey to fill out. Many questions on the survey inquire about our intended audience, methods, goals, and objectives. I find the questions tedious, and I feel irritated by them. So I, pushing the survey aside, I, I try to explain verbally. I tell the web developer that we go into the satellite offices to facilitate anti-racist training. I add that the training is not always well-received. In fact, one member of our team was told not to come back. I made a joke. The white people were scared by Deborah's hair. Parentheses. Deborah is a black. I'm sorry. Deborah is black and has long locked braids. The meeting ends and, well, we move on. A few days later, one of my team members lets me know that the web developer, who I'll call Angela, was offended by my hair comment. Well, I wasn't paying attention at the time. Once I was informed, I quickly realized why the comment was off. I seek out a friend who is white and has a solid understanding of cross-racial dynamics. We discuss my feelings, embarrassment, shame, guilt, and then she helps me identify the various ways my racism was revealed in that interaction. After this processing, I feel ready to repair this relationship. I ask Angela to meet with me, and she accepts. I openly ask Angela, would you be willing to grant me the opportunity to repair the racism I perpetrated towards you in this meeting? When she agrees, I continue. I realize that my comment about Deborah's hair was inappropriate. Angela nods and explains that she did not know me and did not want to be joking about black women's hair, a sensitive issue for many black women, with a white woman whom she did not have a trusting relationship with, much less in a professional work meeting. I apologize and ask her if I had missed anything else that was problematic in the meeting. Yes, she replied. That survey? I wrote that survey, and I spent my life justifying my intelligence to white people. My chest constricts as I immediately realize the impact of my glib, uh, my glib dismissal of the survey. I acknowledge this impact and apologize. She accepts my apology. I ask Angela if there's anything else that needs to be said or heard so that we can move forward. She replies that yes, there is. The next time you do something like this, would you like feedback publicly or privately, she asks. I answer that given my role as an educator, I would appreciate receiving the feedback publicly as it is important for white people to see that I'm so also engaged in a lifelong process of learning and growth. And I can model for other white people how to receive feedback openly and without defensiveness. She tells me that all those these dynamics occur daily between white people and people of color, my willingness to repair doesn't. And that she appreciates. We move on. Now, folks, some of you are listening. You're like, yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. First off, she wasn't racist for making a, a joke, you know, a joke about a colleague's hair and why people don't accept the racist. Thing. Like, obviously, the joke was saying, yeah, they don't accept this. It had nothing to do with her hair, obviously. Um, obviously, you know, when it comes to handling problems, the author's view is basically, hey, let black people say whatever you want to you as a white person. You just need to take it. And what they say is true, period. Accept it. Move on. Um, 
You know, I would say it this way. Uh, Kobe one one of highly effective people, you know, um, seek first to understand, then be understood is a really good principle. Um, it's not Bible, but it's really good. Um, one of my favorite scriptures is good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You know, when we talk about race, you're going to have to understand that in this space, when we talk about race, you're going to have to understand that people are going to say ignorant things. You've got to be able to overlook those things. Unintentionally offend and they will misunderstand you. That's why we're slow to anger and we overlook offense as we march towards unity. But if we are like, hey, we can't ever have anything, ever understand, first understand, then be understood. Now, was she trying to be racist? Of course not. It was a joke. It was a joke basically about why people aren't expecting their quote-unquote anti-racist nonsense. Um, but there was another issue here. This woman has spent her whole life trying to please white people. Hello. Your values are really skewed. If you as an academic has been spending your time trying to please white people and you were upset because she didn't want to take your stupid survey. She, there was nothing disrespectful about that. But the idea, because someone has hidden hurt because they have a incomplete worldview, an unbiblical worldview, and really hasn't been touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. These broken people are leading things. And this method that is used in this book, unfortunately, won't heal the racial divide. So, does she achieve her goal? Well, you know, you have to be the judge of that. Uh, I would argue no. Uh, racism is still in place. Um, her view is that white people hold racism in place. It's crazy. Um, and her way of handling discussions, it opens up a dialogue. Not really. It opens up a one-way venting session. And you just accept it. That's not going to move us closer to unity. Uh, systemic racism has been destroyed in most of America. And uh, now we can marry who we want. We actually can run for political office and make real changes that impact people of color and all people, by the way. Uh, we can vote without taking a poll tax or a test, be educated how we want, go to college where we want. And we, because of capitalism, can create our own lane if we want, our own media, our own arts, our own educational centers. Our own churches. We've come too far to let these progressives brainwash us that white supremacy runs America in 2020. And then it can try to convince us that white people, um, you know, that the only way you can shed your supremacy and racism is by agreeing with whatever your black coworker says and make adjustments based on their quote unquote recommendations. And I use that word loosely. Race and race discussions are impossible to have because of the left. They created this thing called cancel culture. So if you don't agree with everything they're saying, probably everything they're saying in this book, don't worry. They'll get rid of you. They'll cancel you. And now, quote, unquote, anti-racist studies, which demands you think a certain way and punishes you for independent thought because you don't take an anti-racist position, not just you're not racist. It's no longer good enough for you not to be racist, but now you have to take their crazy positions on how not to be racist. No wonder why people speak in code. And avoid the conversation altogether. It's a lose-lose. And that's the culture the left has created. As Christians, we can speak about race with one another, with other believers. I do with other believers all the time. Because we all have a biblical worldview. We understand the space that's needed to heal comes with spaced understanding. That things may be not said in the right 
way all the time, but it comes with the right heart. And the right heart is to heal the racial divide through unity in Christ. Friends, let me uh, pray for you before we go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. I pray Galatians 3.28 over my friends in Ephesians 2.14. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Lord, the secret to heal the racial divide is to bring two warring parties and make them one. Part of one body. Ephesians 2.14. For Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Those who are in Christ, Lord, I pray that you'd help them understand this mystery that has buried our racist values that lived within us, just as Jesus was buried. Receive the peace, which is a peace that Jesus gives from his resurrection to all who believe in him, and that we are now your ambassadors, messengers of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 21 Lord, send out more ambassadors of that reconciliation message to be reconciled to God. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, as my favorite commentator used to say, fans, we are out of time. Well, please send me your feedback on today's podcast. Also, please share today's podcast with family, friends, and your social media community. Then if you could, please subscribe. So you'll never miss an episode And you'll be able to find this podcast as you do each and every Monday. A new episode is there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor.fm. And next week, we're going to talk about the Black Conservative Movement and Blexit. So please definitely make sure you hear that one. It should be a great one as we'll really dialogue about the different parts of the African-American conservative movement. And uh, hopefully shed some light that, no, unlike the left, you know. Not every black and every Hispanic are the same. We actually have many differences, and we're going to talk even within the conservative sphere of what those differences are. But most importantly, remember to put faith over party and faith over everything. Hope to catch you next time on Facts, Pains, Rants with Stephen D. Mosley.